Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Lab. Our podcast contains graphic and gruesome content. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Cassie. I'm Brittany. And And this this is Crime Lab. Hello, Lab Techs. It's your favorite two people here (laughs) to tell you about crime and murder and bad things that happen in the world. But then hopefully shed a little bit of light (laughs) as well, you know, our usual. Just in case. Um, Just in case, or we might not, I don't know. Depends on how this case goes, because as always, me, Brittany, I don't know what's happening this week because it is Cassie's week, Mm -hmm. Um, so no idea whatsoever. I did tell her about a story about grilled cheese sandwich, and I got sad watching the cheese melt. (laughs) <laughs> it's been a mental day for me. And she said that it's the same-ish. So all I know is it has something to do with melting. I just don't know what. So, <laughs> let's hear. All right. I did <laughs> tell her like it's kind of cheese? ironic. It's kind of ironic that that happened to her today because of this case. <laughs> We're just going to jump straight into it and learn about a man named John George Hay. So he grew up. Very simple life. Like, nothing too crazy happened to him in his childhood. He grew up in a very, like, simple family, conservative childhood, so nothing too crazy was going on. And he grew up in Yorkshire and was lucky enough to have a very wealthy family. Okay. So he attended, like, classical music concerts and different shows thanks to, I'm assuming wealth because I feel like this always pairs with if you are wealthy or not. He was awarded several scholarships throughout his entire academic career. So like the wealth, you know, you could buy tutors or teachers or go to the most prestigious schools because money. And he was lucky enough to be able to experience all that. I almost feel like because of the way he grew up and having all these things that he maybe slightly like hated his life. Because I have heard that. Mm -hmm. Like some people really like that type of lifestyle. And other people don't. Yeah. And just because he's part of the I kill people crew, I'm going to say maybe he didn't. (laughs) That's just a guess. (laughs) Okay, okay. So that's a good guess. So it's kind of funny that you say that because I don't see anything that makes him say like, oh, he hated growing up this way. Instead, he like learned from it. So his family was very wealthy. I'm assuming, you know successful business or something along those lines for that that wealth that income so he took clues from all the people around him and learned to be very charming and persuasive and just very suave when he talks to other people okay so in his early 20s he met a woman and they got married and he charmed her the same way he did everybody around him But something along the line got him in trouble that led him to be arrested at the age of 25 for fraud. So he charmed his way into fraud, (laughs) which I feel like to get that over on people, like to commit fraud, you have to be kind of charming. Like you can't just do it. I guess it depends on the type of fraud, but but yes, the... Mm -hmm. Because this is also, I didn't mention, in the early 30s. So let me say that. Okay. You you do have to have something about you that 
you're able to like you have to be very strategic i feel like Mm -hmm. and never get your like wires crossed or whatever the heck that's saying yeah no that's a good way to put it um because if you do then i feel like that's when you get caught when it comes to like doing anything like fraud related Mm -hmm. like if you're still if you're like impersonating a person and you mess up on a storyline and you're talking to somebody who obviously might have known that person or has heard of that person. Mm-hmm. There you go. You messed up. Now, if you're writing checks and doing that kind of stuff, then it's like doing one wrong thing could get you in trouble too. Yeah. I feel like you just have to be like a specific, like very smart, like suave type of a person to be able to do Yeah. Fraud. Like you're walking a fine line doing anything fraud related. Yes. So that's, you made very good points there. Like, keep that in mind. Like, one mistake can lead to everything falling apart. So at this time, again, he was 25, arrested and jailed for fraud. And he had just gotten married, was getting his life in order. But this case, this arrest, his wife was like, I don't want anything to do with that. So she kind of snapped out of the charm that he put on her and was like, no, we're done. So she ended up filing for a divorce. She's like, I don't want to be a part of that. Yeah. And he came from a family that, I, like I said, was very well known. The name was everywhere. They were very wealthy. So to have somebody jailed for fraud in a business family, a wealthy family, they didn't want any association with him so they completely cut him off so at this point he's arrested jailed for fraud his wife divorces him his family like disowns him he's left to his own devices he quickly um was abandoned like real really fast but Mm -hmm. makes sense i mean you knew the type of family and like reputation you kind of have to hold up in that situation and no one, okay, I can't say no one, but majority of people don't want to live that criminal lifestyle or like spouse of a criminal. Mm-hmm. You know, some people just don't like that. So it makes sense why she would divorce him, why the family would kind of like disown him. I mean, kind of yeah. did it himself, to be honest. But Yeah. And if his whole family disowns him, and I mean, she probably was used to living a little bit of a wealthier lifestyle, being brought into that family, marrying him. So yeah. when his family like disowned him, I wonder if there was like this, well, I have to keep up my reputation as well. Could have been. Yeah. That that would make sense. Mm-hmm. So bringing the shame onto his family, like I said, he was pretty much abandoned and he was sentenced at this point to two years. So he only served two years for this fraud case. He was then released from prison and he moved then from Yorkshire to London where he just wanted to find work so he could make some kind of money, and he took up a chauffeur job. I feel like a lot could happen when you're a chauffeur, like thefts and things like that. Yeah, which is a good point. God, Brittany, you were just on it today because he did. <laughs> he was meeting all these new people, and usually people who have chauffeurs have some money. And again, this is in the 30s, so think of very posh people in London having a chauffeur. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So he would like talk people into things and use that same charm and the suave and swindle these unsuspecting people out of their money some way or another. 
doing what he does best. Yeah, definitely doing what he does best because, I mean, he was doing it beforehand. He probably thought about it a lot while he was in jail. So now out, he's like, okay, I know what not to do now. Mm -hmm. So learning his techniques over the time of being a chauffeur, he decided that he wanted to take up a new gig, a new way to get money from people. So he started to pretend to be a solicitor named William Adamson. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. So he pretended like he was this big, like, stockbroker, and he knew all these things about different stocks and estates and so on and so forth, things that cost a lot of money. So he would talk to these people and sell them fraudulent stock shares from estates of his, like, supposed dead clients. Dang. He would make up this whole backstory for these clients that passed away and now he has their stock shares and like talk to people and try to sell it to them when really these dead clients never existed. And he would say, this is what they're going for a market rate. This is what I'm going to sell it to you. Like convincing them and charming them into thinking that they're getting such a good deal on these stock shares because he's selling them below market rate. Yeah, and that's kind of crazy, too, because if you think about it then, like, things weren't ever, like, done over phone like they are now. So you can Mm -hmm. never see the person's facial expressions or, you know, their body language while they're trying to sell you something and, like, straight up lying to you. So this guy, I'm, like, picturing him just, like, going and talking, like, almost when you see on TV, like, a car salesman, Mm -hmm. like, that's him, but talking about, like, dead people who don't exist. Yeah. Like saying that I have crazy. all this stuff for them and I'm gonna sell you to it at I'm gonna sell it to you at a great deal. Like total car yeah, salesman. Clear, yeah, and clearly people are, bu- are buying into it. But can you just imagine like having to like have that type of skill almost? Yeah. You almost have to believe to be it yourself. To... Yeah. That's like insane. believe your own lies so you can sell your lies. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of crazy, like like you think about it, he, he's kind of talented if you think about it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he's able oh, yeah. to do that. And you're like, oh, wow, okay, yeah, he's pretty talented. But then you're like, that's so bad. Like, yeah. He and he shouldn't be up, talented at that. <laughs> he grew up in a business family, so he knows how to sell things. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, he has the background. He's just not using it in a good way. <laughs> so, I'm going to tell you. How this turned out because you said something earlier that I was like, keep that in mind. So he got so comfortable in these lies and selling his story that he cared more about how he sold his story than the paperwork. So he got Ah, so comfortable that he didn't realize that he misspelt his alias. So William Adamson, again, his name is John George Hay. He made up this alias of William Adamson, the stockbroker. And when he talked to somebody and got the paperwork all set for them to sign to sell them these stocks, supposed stocks, he misspelt his own name. Oh, gosh. And this person that he was selling it to was thorough. They read through it and everything seemed okay. But when they got to the name, they're like, wait. That's not how he spelt it all these other times. And somebody, this professional, is not going to misspell their own name. So they brought that to their lawyers and so on and so forth. And he ended up being arrested in 1939 and imprisoned again 
for fraud, but this time serving four years instead of the two previously. One, it's pretty hard unless you're having like some kind of a thing happening to you to misspell your own name mm-hmm. when you're filling out important paperwork. Like, yeah. I read my name like five different times to make sure <laughs> that it is right. <laughs> when Especially it comes to like important paper. Yeah, yeah, important paperwork. So that's good catch on that guy but also Mm. he just went to the wrong guy's house because no one ever reads those papers let's Mm -hmm. be honest i don't read them no one reads it so the fact that this dude just went through the whole thing and caught that good on you but then also the fact that they were able to use that to arrest him is kind of weird only because yeah he misspelled his name but how do you go from that to fraud unless they looked at his history, obviously, and then well, that they would kind of tie to tell that this the stocks that they were supposedly selling this person were fake. So okay, they, so okay, they brought this to them and was like, "Hey, can you look this over?" This is my assumption. They brought it to maybe their lawyers or somebody and was like, "So this seems out of place. Can we look into it?" And they looked into it and they're like, "Okay, well, these stocks that he's selling you, these aren't for sale, and like this person." that died that he's selling their stocks doesn't exist and like pretty much was able to unravel his whole story just based off of the start of misspelling his name such a minor mistake too i know to just make your whole operation crumble yeah so while he was in prison he started to think that Okay, what were my mistakes what can i do he's not giving up because he was caught he just wants to improve And while in prison, he realized not that his biggest downfall was the fact that he was doing fraud in the first place, but that he left his fraud victims to get away well and alive after he had already made the transaction. (laughs) So he's starting to think, my only downfall is to let people walk away from this, to be able to come back and catch me. Hmm. Which usually you go and you're like, oh, damn, I got caught, like... How can I reform? But he's like, how can I get better? Yeah, it's that that's a weird way of thinking. Mm-hmm. But I guess that's what he's good at, right? He likes doing fraudulent type stuff. So of course yeah. he's going to be like, okay, I have four years. How do I hone my skills and not make a mistake like that again? Yeah, and he came from money and then all of a sudden he was cut off. So he's like, I need to... yeah keep up my lifestyle that I had when I was wealthy. So I need to find a way to make that same money. So he is so determined and driven by money and living that lifestyle that he will literally do anything possible to keep that lifestyle up. That's so crazy. Okay, so it's completely opposite of what I thought when I was like, he probably hated his life. Yeah. Because you know, some people love it, some people hate it. Yeah, and he loved it a little too much to where that was all he cared about was wealth. So with that thought process of I need to make sure people don't get away to catch me later, he started looking into different ways that people of history at this point. So again, 1939, people in the past, he starts looking into them of how they got rid of victims. So he started looking into other well-known murderers before his time and was like, how can I take what they're doing and perfect it? That's, I almost feel like he wouldn't have 
had those thoughts or gone to that extent if he wasn't in prison because you know how Mm -hmm. many stories and things and tips he probably got from other people that were in there and then he's like oh i could use that to my advantage if Mm -hmm. i need to yeah and you made a good point too of like you have to be strategic and you have to be smart to be able to do fraud so he's not some idiot going around wanting to kill people he's smart like he knows how to take what somebody's telling him and improve on it so he began looking into a French, a well-known French murderer named George Alexandre Serret, whose signature, like, way to get rid of a body was dissolving his victims in sulfuric acid. <laughs> so a lot like your cheese on your grilled cheese. A lot like my cheese, my poor grilled cheese sandwich. Yes. So that was this famous French murderer's way of disposing of the bodies. And he's like, that's great. Because in his mind, dissolving the body leaves no evidence. So he gets away with the money and there's no, literally nothing left of the person to get him in trouble. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I feel like there's still, you could, obviously, because people have been caught, but Mm -hmm. there's still ways to go about that. And it not go the way you're supposed to without, like, the person committing the crime knowing it. Yeah. So, like, something doesn't fully dissolve or, like, you know, like, I don't know. It's just. (laughs) There's so many, so many outcomes. Yeah. You would think it'd be the smartest way because things, you know, a lot of things dissolve in acid. Better than, like, burying a body in the woods, right? Like. Yeah. That's probably the route. fire or things like that. Yeah. It's, like, the route most people would take i guess Mm -hmm. if they had the skills to dissolve a body but i feel like a lot of people don't realize that like there's still a chance clearly that it doesn't go the way you think it does exactly so he wanted to like perfect this he read up on george alexandre and he took the things he learned about his research of george alexandre and Wanted to make sure he perfected it himself. He's like, I need to run some trials to make sure I know what I'm doing. So he took the information he learned and decided to use his free time to devise his own method of dissolving the bodies. Okay. So his way of perfecting this was he would capture mice that were around the prison and somehow got his hands on the sulfuric acid. And he, in his cell, would take notes on how long it took the mice to dissolve, how much acid he would need per mouse, roughly how much or how big the mouse was, so he could calculate and transfer that to a full-grown adult. How long would it take a full-grown adult to dissolve an acid? How much acid would I need? Like, he full-on calculated all of this just from a mouse dissolving a mouse and calculating it to an adult that's crazy again comes back to the having that type of smarts and stuff to be able to pull off a job like that but Mm -hmm. then to like think about it to figure out okay i have to time this and probably different size mice right because you have smaller ones you have bigger ones you have thicker ones and then you got to compare it Mm -hmm. to like a human obviously yeah but the whole time you were saying that, and yes, like, that's crazy, I'm, but my mind is like, how the heck did he get the acid inside the prison? <laughs> that I don't know. <laughs> okay, because I was like, 
<laughs> you were saying that. I was like, okay, yeah, like the mouse thing. Like, that's interesting that that's what he used. He experimented with that. Mm-hmm. But the fact that he was doing that in prison, like, how the heck? Yeah. I guess things back then were probably a lot easier to get into prison than it is now. But yeah. acid, of all things. In the, fo- like, this is like throughout the early 40s. So he was probably able to barter and trade and talk to the talk the guards into things and yeah so he was able to get it somehow or another but after all these trials and multiple attempts over the four years he came to the conclusion that it took only 30 minutes to completely dissolve like the small field mice that he found and he transferred this knowledge into a full-grown adult so by the time he left the prison after four years He just had a wealth of knowledge in this subject. And he was like, okay, I took all this time, four years. So the same length that somebody goes to college, he took just studying how to get rid of bodies. That's crazy. Yeah. And he was like, okay, I have it in my brain. I have this knowledge that I learned in trial and error. And now it's time for me to put it into action. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) So he couldn't just get out of jail and start dissolving people. I mean, he could. He could. (laughs) But it wouldn't be smart. Yeah, it wouldn't be very beneficial considering his goal was to become wealthy again. So he's like, I'm going to use this to make money. So how am I going to make money until I can find that perfect situation? Even though he has served in his short lifetime at this point, He's already served six years of prison time, but he was still able to like charm his way into a well-off job in the accounting department at an engineering firm, which is a pretty good job. Yeah. Which again, he's smart. He was able to charm his way into it and use his knowledge of just everything that he knew and got him this well-off position. So after doing a little bit better, and securing this position, he did run into an old friend from times past named William McSwan, who he had worked as a chauffeur for. So they talked a lot. He got close to him, driving him around to wherever he needed to go. And at this point, they're catching up and McSwan tells him that his new gig that he's doing is he is a landlord collecting rent from tenants who stayed at his parents like multiple properties so he's taking in a lot of money from these people renting his elderly parents homes okay and i say homes because there's multiple and remember this is a a wealthy area so they're not just tiny little one-bedroom homes they're houses like these things are big they're castles yes (laughs) so talking He learns, you know, Mick Swan at this time is living a very lavish lifestyle. And John George was starting to get jealous that he's living this lifestyle and he doesn't have to do anything. All he does is collect money from these people renting these places. So he's like, you're not doing anything, but you're making thousands of dollars from these people. That's not right. Like, that's what I want. (laughs) It's only not right because he's not doing it. Exactly. So he let this jealousy like consume him and he decided it's not fair. That should be me. I should be making this money, not him. Uh So he invited him over to this warehouse that he owned to show show it off supposedly. 
and somehow convinced McSwan to come into the warehouse. Let me show you around like my warehouse that I own. And this is where he snuck up behind him, hit him over the back of the head and killing him. Shoot. Jealousy. That'll do it to a person. Mm -hmm. So it was now time to like use all this knowledge that he learned to get rid of McSwan. So after knocking him out and killing him, Hay decided, okay, let's do this. I have all these tools that I need. And he puts McSwan's body into a 40-gallon drum and just fills it with the concentrated sulfuric acid that he was able Mm -hmm. to accumulate. And after letting the body soak for two full days, McSwan became about 100 or so pounds of just human sludge in this barrel. Yeah, disgusting. And lucky enough, when he bought this warehouse, he made sure that there was a way to dispose of the bodies. So in the middle of the basement of the warehouse where this gallon drum, 40-gallon drum was, was a manhole. So all he had to do was tip the barrel over and just drain the human sludge down the manhole. Oh. So... A manhole, when you pour it, it drains off into something else. Like, so it doesn't, it's not like the body sludge sits there. Yes. So it won't necessarily be able to be pinned back to his warehouse. Okay. So he is like, I did it. I put my knowledge and everything that I trained for and practice and it worked. So he's just like riding this high of, I did this. I pulled this off. And... He took exactly what he aimed to take. He killed McSwan and then somehow swindled his way into taking over McSwan's landlord duties of his freaking his parents' properties. Yeah. So John George went to McSwan's family and was like, so this is what's going on. McSwan had to run away because... He was, there was a chance that he was going to be drafted and he didn't want to be drafted. So he had to hide from the draft. So he put me in charge of the properties until after the draft. And they didn't really question it. They're like, okay, we know that he could have possibly been drafted. It's possible that this could have happened. So they're like, kind of weird, but it makes sense. Yeah. And then after some time, his family started to become a bit suspicious because he didn't contact them once, never received a letter, nothing. And then the draft was over and he still was nowhere to be found. So they're starting to get really suspicious over what happened to their son. The guy did poor job on picking an excuse why he left. Because it's like, let's say if he did die or whatnot there... That people would have come to the the parents' homes and, like, told them. So either yeah. way, they would have gotten some kind of news about their son, whether it was from him or from someone else, and they got neither. Yeah. So now they're like, okay, this is odd. Like, there's – we have zero contact with him. This is not like him over the span of time. And John George was starting to make a lot of money or quite a bit of money at this time off of these properties and getting the money for them that he was not going to let – these people ruin his new lifestyle. So he did the same thing that he did to McSwan, the younger McSwan, to the older McSwans, and killed them 
and disposed of their bodies the same way that he did their son. So he killed them, put them in these 40-gallon buckets, let them sit in the sulfuric acid for two full days, and then just dumped the sludge down the manhole. I get why he did that and all, but it's also like you pick probably a well-known family. So Mm -hmm. if all of them just disappear off the face of the earth, someone is going to wonder where they are. Yeah. At this point, he's just just acting out of like... Greed. Yes. And he's not putting thought into why. The first time, jealousy. This time, fear of being caught. Like he's not putting much into it. So after these murders, he obtained all of the McSwan family properties by, you know, going into their home, finding out the information, getting the homes. He also stole about $10,000, which in today's rates would be roughly uh, calculated to like $172,000 just over. So, I mean, he got a lot of money off of this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Plus income because of the tenants now with this money he couldn't stay living like how he was so he moved into the onslow court hotel in kensington so like a very nice hotel like kind of like a condo situation so a nice Mm -hmm. place where like wealthy people lived and he was like i have all this money what am i gonna do with it let me Try to double it in the best way that I know possible. And can you guess that way that he tried? Um, well, the, obviously the quick thing would be gambling. Yeah. So he was like, I'm going to double my money. I'm going to use this money. I'm going to gamble it. I'm going to try to get, make more money. And that didn't really work out the way he planned. Because he was not as good at gambling as he was talking his way into situations. Because he started losing money faster than he was earning it. And at this point, we've learned that John George needs money. If he doesn't have money, he's not happy. So he's going to find a way to get money. Gambling, wasn't it? He probably picked one of the worst things to do on how to try to get more money. (laughs) Yeah. It's almost impossible to double your money. (laughs) Yeah. And like as soon as you start and you have money and then as soon as you start and you lose money, you're like, well, I need to earn it back. So you start becoming obsessive about getting this money back and let me put more because I'll get it. Eventually, it'll work out in my favor. I'll get paid back. So he becomes addicted to gambling and he just is just going down the the tank. Yeah. So he's sitting there thinking, okay, who can be my next victim to get my money back, to get money somehow? So he gets used to... The idea of being a landlord, owning these properties, getting money from tenants, and close to where he was at, at the hotel, there was a home being sold that he just kind of became obsessive over because he's like, this is the perfect location. It's the perfect house. I bet I can rent it out for a lot and get money off of it. So he goes to meet with Dr. Archibald Henderson and his wife, Rose, who were the sellers of the home. And when he went to go meet with them to talk about it, he ended up doing what he knows best, I guess, at this point and killing them because this house is going to be his. So he kills them and does the same thing, puts their bodies in the barrels of sulfuric acid in the same warehouse where he dissolved the McSwans. He now has the Henderson property that he plans on renting out to make money from. 
And he was just feeling this rush and he needed more because that's five murders now that he's committed, gotten away with. And not only did he get away with them, he came out successful and almost wealthy because of it. So he's like, there is nothing more that I want than to keep this going. (laughs) To keep murdering people. Yeah. And... And getting something out of it. Like, he's not just murdering to murder. He's, like, gaining his success because of his murders, which is mind-blowing. So he's like, okay, if I'm going to keep this going, I need to find a bigger warehouse. Like, I need somewhere bigger than just, like, this tiny basement area to commit these murders to where I can do that to more people at a time. Because, again, each barrel, each body barrel has to sit there for two full days. Yeah. So at this point. That's two days that he's missing out on killing somebody and getting money. Exactly. So he's like, I need more space. So oh he takes this money that he earned from his crimes and buys a bigger warehouse. Which you'll see the pictures of his original warehouse that he was at because that was like where most of the stuff happened. Um, but the new house, new warehouse, I'm not too sure if it's much bigger, but you'll see pictures on our socials of like this perfect warehouse that he had originally. So at this point, he now is like, okay, who, who can I get next? Who is this next victim? Because again, he's still in debt from his gambling. It's an addiction now. He's still gambling. So he needs to find somebody wealthy that isn't, doesn't really have a lot of family that he doesn't really have to get rid of a relative. So he knows he lives at this hotel with wealthy people. So he starts smoozing his way around and talking to people and and networking almost. And and he meets this woman named Olive Duran Deacon, who was a very wealthy widower. So there's nobody at home for her. She's on her own. Mm-hmm. And she was also like the self-proclaimed inventor. So if we remember back to his job that he actually has, he works in an engineering firm. And her being an inventor, she's like, he has knowledge in this field. Like he's the person I want to network with and get more information with and meet with because he's actually Mm -hmm. works for this company. So she, she asks him, hey, can we talk about like this idea that I have? Olive met with him set up this meeting and he's like, yeah, I have a location that we can meet at and get this meeting going and talk about it and yada, yada, yada. He was, he couldn't have been more ecstatic about this. Like his next victim literally came to him. So he's setting everything up, getting the meetings in order, getting everything ready because he has a time. He doesn't have to convince somebody to come to the warehouse. He has a planned time to kill somebody at his brand new warehouse. Like how exciting. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, clearly he sounded stoked, so. Yeah. <laughs> so Oliver arrived at his new warehouse and like he had in the past, he attacked her and planned to dispose of her as he did the others. But there was one thing about this warehouse that made it a little more difficult than the other warehouse. And it was the fact that there wasn't a manhole in this new warehouse like there was the other one. So he didn't have like an easy disposal area like the past one what did you think when you were buying a new warehouse that that would be something that you would look for since that's what made 
you know, you you not getting caught. Yeah. You know, it made it a lot easier. Yeah, to get away with it. So you think that would be prime, but he was just so worried about having a bigger space to kill more people that he didn't think of the end product of how am I going to get rid of these people? Not yeah. how can I get more people in there? It's how can I get all of these people gone? <laughs> so He's after... Slipping he, up left and right. Right? So after he kills Olive and dissolves her body in the in the barrel like the others... He didn't really have a place to get rid of it. So instead of carrying this, lugging this barrel around, trying to find the perfect spot, there was like this old pile of rubble by the warehouse, like right outside the warehouse that he's like, I'm just going to dump this human sludge into the pile of rubble and nobody's ever going to see it. (laughs) Yeah, right. The odor. (laughs) Yeah, the odor. I mean, it's acid. It's a dissolved body. There's still going to be body parts yeah that some old rubble isn't gonna mask (laughs) so he's for someone really smart he's really dumb yes (laughs) he's definitely lost his uh his touch yes and because he just disposed of this body right outside of his warehouse people just kind of passerby were like okay what is that like what what's going on here and went to the police and then investigators went to this warehouse to investigate okay what's going on here and found the almost fully but not fully dissolved body parts of olive dumped in this pile of whatever outside of a warehouse so the first thing they're going to do is find out who owns the warehouse of course and it's kind of hard to say oh no Somebody else dumped a body outside of my warehouse when it's a completely gated off. It's his warehouse. Mm -hmm. So they didn't really need much more. And they were able to arrest him for the murder of Olive. And because of all the the tools and you'll see a picture on our socials of like the gas mask and the those big like the rubber aprons and boots and everything that he had in there and the various (laughs) different barrels It was obvious he had either done this before or he was going to continue. Oh, yeah. So they were able to arrest him and charge him with murder. And during the trial, this idiot tried to plead insanity. And his reasoning for this was saying that he killed these people and drank their blood. And the drinking of their blood drove him to madness and like he had to just keep keep killing and keep drinking more blood and like turn him in this whole vampire type persona. But the investigators looked into everything at the warehouse and his past and everything along those lines of what he was getting into. And there was zero evidence to back up the fact that he supposedly was drinking their blood. So they're like, no, you killed these people and you dissolved them. Like there is no, no tools, no nothing that you have in this warehouse that would help you drain them of their blood and drink it. Like it specifically was there to dissolve these bodies. Yeah. And it also goes back to if you think about his past and whole fraud thing and how like smart you kind of have to be to commit such a crime like mm-hmm. that. Like, no, you're not insane. Like if you can do that, like you're not insane. Thought went into that. Yeah. And after hearing this insanity defense, an officer, an arresting officer came forward 
and spoke to the prosecutors and said that John George had asked him what the chances were of being released from a psychiatric hospital versus prison. So before the trial (laughs) even started, he went up to this officer and was like, hey, what are my chances of getting out of a hospital rather than prison? Like, are my chances better? And then he stepped up to the stand and pled insanity. No. Yeah, like trying to schmooze over this officer with these stupid comments. Yeah, it's like you don't think that they're keeping record or like, you know, logging everything that you're saying. Yeah, idiot. So with the obvious evidence found at the warehouse and the dissolved body and the statements from the officer, it really only took a few minutes of deliberation from the jury to deliver a guilty verdict. And this ultimately led to the death sentence. Good. Yes. So... On August 10th of 1949, John George Hay was executed for his crimes, which have now gone down in history as the acid bath murders. So yeah, kind of an interesting one this week for you guys. It was definitely interesting. It it was crazy to hear how careless he started to become Mm -hmm. because he could have gotten away with it for so long. Yeah. But then I feel like he just started be- to become too greedy. Oh, yeah. That, that just, yeah. like, drove him. And that him. what he was doing no longer was able to keep up with his lifestyle. So he just continuously needed more and more and more and more, mm-hmm. which then got him to become careless, which then got him to become caught. Yeah. Which then caused him to still be careless because he was asking stupid questions. <laughs> That's yeah. almost like a Google search and then they look at your computer history. <laughs> Yeah, like, do I get less time in a psychiatric hospital than a prison? Like, am I going to get out? And then, no, death. Right. What an idiot. Yeah, he, from the start, like, from his early 20s, just went downhill from there. Yeah. And it's all because he was so focused on becoming wealthy again, like he was in his 20s and growing up, that he saw nothing else as possible without money. Crazy. Mm Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I want to hear all of our lab tech's thoughts on that. Like, do you think he got out of hand because of his greed or his fear of being caught? Or what are your thoughts on the fact that he got freaking acid in prison to do these experiments? (laughs) Yeah, like, how did he get that in there? I don't know. That's my real question. Yeah. And I mean, if you look at the pictures that we'll post on the socials, He's a handsome man. Like, he's not a bad-looking guy. So it's very possible. And looking at him, you're like, oh, yeah, he could definitely, like, charm his way into things. Because, I mean, not only is he good with words and grew up around people who could negotiate, he has that suaveness about him. And one of the pictures that kind of was cracking me up that I saw was he's handcuffed to another officer going into the courtroom, and he's smiling. Yeah, he's smiling. I knew you were going to say that. It looks like one of the officers kind of has a little smirk, like he said kind of some stupid comment. Either that or that's the point where he's like, what are my chances? And the officer's like, you idiot. Like, I got you. But he yeah. thinks he's just being sly. But this guy at no point was like, I'm not going to get in trouble for this. Like, he's laughing going into trial. Disgusting. Well, just like everything else. He thought he had had it in the bag. Mm-hmm. Or the bin. Yeah, because <laughs> if you, I feel like if you convince yourself that you're going to get away with it or 
even his story of selling the stocks, like he convinced himself that his story was true so he could convince other people. Like if you believe it yourself, you can sell it. Yeah, but on the on the downfall, if you believe it so much, you do become careless because mm-hmm. you're not thinking about the what ifs or this could happen because you're so invested in I am doing this right. Mm-hmm. There's no way I will mess up. Yeah, and then, and then you end up spelling your name wrong. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so yeah, that's my my case for you guys this week. And like I said, I want to hear your comments or questions or concerns. Uh, and if you like this episode or any other episode that we've done in the past or the podcast as a whole, make sure you share it with friends or family or anybody that think might like us. Share, share, share. And remember, don't have nightmares. We'll see you guys next week. See you next week.